All right. How's everybody doing? Okay. Everybody awake? No? Man, it was, it was a funny Father's Day start out for me. I, was, I woke up, and I'm out of creamer, so I didn't make coffee at home. And I was like, I'm going to treat myself because it was early. So I'm going to go to Starbucks. So I drove all the way to Starbucks, and they have new hours for some reason for a couple weeks, and they weren't even open. So I was like, oh, well. And I was like, well, I'm going to go get donuts for the church, and I'll get coffee at the little donut shop. So I came back, went to the donut shop, and got donuts. If you hadn't got any, there may be some still back there. And I got a cup of coffee. And as I'm coming in, I unlocked the door, and I had the stacks of donuts, and I poured coffee all over me. So if, if y'all are oddly attracted to me today, it's the coffee smell probably. <laughs> so I got coffee all over my shirt. I was like, man, this is just not going well this morning. But I was like, it doesn't matter. And then I got in there, and my mouse wouldn't work. And I'm like, well, I want my mouse work. It's like everything was against me this morning. But I was still encouraged to the whole thing because as I just read through Scripture, I just kept seeing just, just all the joy that I find in knowing that, knowing that God is my Father. Like every, every time Tracy and I, uh, when we talk about Father's Day and it comes up, we kind of have a similar discussion about, you know, what's this look like for us? Because, you know, our fathers were kind of absent when we were younger, and, and we had to kind of figure things out on our own. And we had to have that picture repainted for us through life, through, through Scripture, through uh, friends from a lot of you guys have actually helped us through some of those things. Um, but when it comes to Father's Day, man, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's, that's difficult. When you, and I tell our kids this all the time, when you lose trust, it's hard to get it back, right? And so for me, man, trust was broken way early. And most of the men in my life and the father figures either hurt or left, you know what I mean? You know, or, or their, their affection or their love was very conditional. It was what, on, on what I could do for them. I call like a hustle type of love. So it was very based on my performance or what I could or could not do. And I felt like that was snatched out from underneath, underneath me right from the get-go because I, I felt worthless. And it was, it was that, that identity was strengthened with everything, every father figure I ran into back then. So in order to, like, rebuild that trust and repaint that picture, that doesn't just always happen overnight, right? It takes time. And so what I want to talk about as we're still we're continuing to go through this New Covenant Christianity, we're going to continue this series on, and this is just part of it. Uh, the New Covenant is based on a father-son relationship. The New Covenant demonstrates and shows us what it's like to see God as Father. We said it even right after worship. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the perfect representation of God. There was this, this, this gap that I always had, even after salvation, where I thought that God's okay with me because of Jesus, right? That's the only reason he's okay with me. He really doesn't like me, right? God still, he, he's not pleased with me at all. It's just because of Jesus. But I always made this disconnect with Jesus and God for some reason, and there's not. They've always been together. We're born from a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From the very beginning of time, we were creating his image. He's always wanted to have a relationship with you and me. So we have to, we have to see God for who he, who he really is, and how do we see that? Let's talk about it. I'm glad you asked. Um, we're going to start in John eight 19. We'll bounce around a little bit. And these are the Pharisees questioning Jesus. And they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father. So he's making the connection there even with the Pharisees. Now, if you will, jump over to Luke 4, and we're going to come re revisit that in a minute. Jump over to Luke 4. 248. So, so when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, now this comes on the tail end of Jesus is getting lost, he's 12 years old, he's running around, and his parents are looking for him now. His parents are who? Mary and Joseph, right? So Joseph is his father. So when they saw him, they were amazed. This is after they found him. 
His mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? It's a pretty common thing a mom would say. Why have you done this to us? Uh, Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, who do you think he's talking about here? He's not talking about Joseph. He's talking about his heavenly father, right? So let's look at what his father's business is. You look at the verse before it, verse 46. It says, now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. This this isn't a new characteristic of God necessarily that he listens and he asks questions. God has done this all the way from the beginning. What did he ask Adam? Where are you? Why are you naked? Who told you that you were naked? We're going to look at three main characteristics of God. The first one is he, let me look at it, make sure I get it right. He's conversational. God has conversations. He's not just, we've talked about several times, he's not just some spiritual vending machine that you put in a couple quarters of prayer and you get out of Dr. Pepper. God is conversational. He asks questions. He's interactive. How is he interactive? He's with us. He's not running around and you have to track him down to find him so that you can ask him a question. He's, he's not just someone that produces things for you. He's very, inter, he's, he's very interactive with us, and he has conversations. As a father, I get that. Fathers out there, you probably get that. When you talk to your kids, you hope that they don't just come to you when they need stuff, although they do a lot. Um, you hope that they come to you when they want to spend time with you, right? You hope that they come to you so that you can have a conversation, and what do you do? You challenge them. You, you prod. You poke. Well, what do you think, right? This is how God treats us. Why? Because it's a father-son relationship. This new covenant is him reaching really through time to usher us into this new covenant to where it's not just rules on rocks, but it's his, his law written on our hearts. It's a, it's a knowing, a deep knowing of who our father is. God spoke to Adam in the beginning, said, where are you? Uh, even spoke to Cain and Abel, what have you done? Why are you angry? Where is your brother? He's asked a lot of questions, right? It's not that he didn't know the answer to these questions. This is what I love. We, we talked about this in youth a few weeks ago. God knows what you're going to pray before you pray it, so why even pray? Right? Because it's not just about the answer to the question. God's not just some answer to your questions. He's a father that, that wants to know you and wants you to know him as father. It's, it's more real than that. Don't cheapen it. And I think that's what we've done a lot of times when we put God in this place that he is just, he's there to meet our needs and he's not. He's not just there to meet your needs, does he? Yeah, because he's a father. That's the beautiful thing about the relationship that we have with God. It's not just a checklist that you come to church or you pay a tithe or you go through the motions and do all these things. It's, it's a real relationship that we have. Fathers listen and they ask questions. They probe and they challenge. Most of us go to God with questions just expecting a, sense, a simple answer, but God doesn't just answer questions. He does give us answers, but he asks us questions. This is something that blew my mind when I see it throughout Scripture, how, and I actually love it because Jesus does this a lot with people when they come to him and they ask him these questions, especially about the kingdom. He, he, a lot of times he'll turn around and ask them a question. Why would he do that? Does he not know the answers? No, he knows the answers. He wants us to understand. The same way we teach other people. Have you, any teachers in here? Right? How do you, one of the things that I learned, especially teaching youth, is you can't just preach to people or teaching anyone. There has to be some interaction, right? Have y'all seen that as teachers? So when you, when you ask questions, then they're engaged. I remember this even in school. 
there were classes that would fail because I was just, you know, I was off in la-la land. But the teachers that would actually engage and draw me in, I was interested, right? Because they cared. You see the, the picture there? Because God cares, he brings you into the conversation. He's not just going to, you know, just... And here's, here's another beautiful thing is, even if he had the answer to your question, he gave it to you, you probably couldn't handle it anyway most of the time. Or you may not be prepared to even handle it in its full extent. He's going to walk with you through it. The beautiful thing about God is if something's happening to you, it's happening to him too. Why? Because he's with us. He's always with us. He's not leaping in and out of our bodies all the time. If you're experiencing something, God's experiencing something. When we talk about when we, when we feed the orphans and when we help people, um, we're entertaining angels, essentially. It's because it's, very, it's God's very heart that we do these things. It is, it's when we connect to him, when we're actually operating in his character, it's the closest that we could ever get to him when we're loving people because that's what God does. It's his very character working in and through us. The second attribute, he's compassionate. So he's conversational, he's compassionate. And I scratched all these out. I put the father is compassionate, but I scratched out and put your father. (laughs) We need to remember that he's your father too. He's not just my father or someone else's father or the father. He's your father. He's your dad. So your father is compassionate. Mark 6.31 says, and he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place. This is... This is actually after, right after uh, John the Baptist was beheaded, so Jesus was going through some things. He says, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves, but the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot. They arrived before him and came together to him, and Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Why was he moved with compassion? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. These are all kinds of people from all different walks of life. Jesus was compassionate and and was meeting them right where they were. So he recognized they were sheep not having a shepherd and he was moved with compassion. So he began to teach them many things. Verse 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, listen to this, you give them something to eat. How does this play? This plays right into what we're talking about. Compassion creates action. God's compassion should be working in and through us, and he says, you give them something to eat. What a powerful statement, knowing that they didn't have anything. The beauty of the relationship with God and knowing that he's never leaving, he's never going where he's always with you gives you a boldness that you can go out and you can love people supernaturally outside of yourself. That you can can operate from God to people all the time, not just on Sundays. The beauty of the relationship that we have with God is, is so clear when he says, you give them something to eat. That brings us into it. I love that When we see Jesus do all these things, many times we want to step back and say, that's amazing. That's awesome that Jesus did all that stuff. But then, that's not me. I can't do those things. Then we stumble upon the scripture that says, as he is, so are we in this world. Then we're like, wait, what? We, We do things too? Yes. You do things. 
When he has compassion and he gives his character to you, guess who has compassion now? That's not something you just learn or you figure out. You didn't have it before he gave it to you. We don't, I always talk about we don't, if you have a, you can't give away $100,000 if you don't have it. You have to know that you have it. God gives you compassion. If you don't have enough compassion, look to him. He'll give you some. Look to yourself. You may not find it. Patience is the same way. Look to God, and he will give you the things that you need to to help others and to serve others. Your father is conciliatory, and that was just a word I found because it's a C, and it matched the other ones. Basically, he's a peacemaker. He's caring. He wants to reconcile. That's all that word means. This is a hard one. He's not just caring to, like, get something out of someone or to prove something. He's caring because he genuinely cares. Don't miss that. You guys know my history, and I remember going out and doing the whole soul-winning thing and making people feel uncomfortable everywhere, and I didn't care about any of those people. I just thought that God would be angry if I didn't do it or that, or that I, would get some, I would get some kind of blessing out of it. It was either, it was either fear-motivated or selfish ambition, <laughs> essentially, were the two motivating factors of me going out and winning souls. But what God is and his character is, is he actually cares, and so he gives you the ability to actually care outside of yourself and your brokenness. And I don't know about you, but I'm messed up. I don't care perfectly, but he does. He's the source that we have that we can give that to other people. The Father loves the unlovable. He cares for those that are hard to care for. The Father doesn't cast the stone. Remember, he was the one without sin, and he was the only one that had the right and authority to throw the stone, and he chose not to. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is the character of God played out in human form. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He, he had every right. He said, he, he who has not sinned cast the first stone. He might as well have said, I'm the only one here that can cast the stone. And he, he didn't do it. He said, go and sin no more. The father doesn't strike back. This is tough. This is, this is a hard teaching. We want Jesus to be Rambo, right? We want him to go and, and do all this stuff. And he's the one that put the ear back on when Peter cut it off. He says, my, if my kingdom was of this world, we would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus as the perfect representation of the Father, love those that are hard to love. We should do the same. That's, that's, sometimes it's easy for us to do that to the ones that are easy to love, but I don't know if you've met anybody like this, <laughs> but some people are a little harder to love. That scripture earlier we were talking about that he was speaking to the Pharisees, I'll reread it real quick. They asked him where his father was, and Jesus answered, If you know neither me nor my father, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. He's about to give a very similar uh, statement, but he's given it to his disciples in a more intimate setting. John 14, 7 says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know me and have seen him. This is a little different, right? What? What I want this to say would, would make a little more sense right out of the gate would be from now on you know him and 
will see him or do see him, but it almost goes in past tenses, has, have seen him. Why would he say that? I believe he's saying this because there are truths that have already been established that you are still being revealed. There are things that have happened, and I know we always want this, this new thing or this fresh revelation, and I'm not saying that God doesn't reveal things to you, but he's not revealing anything to you that he, he already hasn't done from the beginning of time, from the foundation of the earth. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Sometimes we don't need some great new event We need to understand what's already been done. We need to see what the Father has already done in our place. Hebrews 1.1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through prophets and many times in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us, how? By his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Now stop there. If you think Jesus isn't in the Father and the Father isn't in him, read that again. Verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Man, wrap your mind around that. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. If you're, listen, this is one of my pet, this is, I don't want to go too far on this, but this is one of my pet peeves, or maybe I need to. People talk about guardian angels. Listen, if you're born again, you don't have a guardian angel. (laughs) Don't cheapen it. You have the Son of God. You have the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus Christ, who has power over all the angels. You don't have an angel. You have all of them. Hear me. Don't don't lessen it. You are an heir and co-heir with Christ. If you have Christ with you, you go and you do, and Christ goes and he does. Really, really get this. This should create in us a seriousness about what we carry, this, this, this Holy Spirit that we have. You're not waiting on some guardian angel to, to show up, Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a cute thing. We have these little chubby angels and different things like that. But be careful that it doesn't work, work its way into your theology because it's not correct. If you even saw one of the angels, you would fall on your face. He's not chubby or cute. <laughs> but you have the one that has authority over all of them. Legions. I don't know if you know how many that is, but it's a lot. Legions and legions and legions of them. All of them. Because his name is greater than them. I don't know how far I want to go down this road, but let's. One of one of my other pet peeves is this idea that we, we invite God's presence as though He's not there, and I know some of it comes from some old school terminology that I and I've probably said it a, a thousand times. But we need to be careful when we say this because it implies that He's not with us, and that is not true. It breaks my heart to think that people are trying to almost beg as orphans when we should be proclaiming as sons and daughters. The, the bold... I'm going to get on a soapbox here. 
the boldness that we have should come from the Holy Spirit that dwells inside us, not our ability to summon him like King Kong. Let me say that again. The boldness that you and I have in this place and everywhere else we go should come from the fact that God is not leaving you or forsaking you ever and the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in our goofy bodies. That You should spend the rest of your life just mind blown about that simple fact. What breaks my heart, and we, uh, I haven't, Tracy joked about it this morning. It's like asking me to, to come here, and I'm here. I'm like, I'm here. Well, come here. I need you to come here. I'm here. I can't be any more here than I'm here. It, it, he is with you. Yes. Hang on, we have a microphone. When I think about, you know, like you said, the Holy Spirit is within us, but when you say, like, I think of it as like me acknowledging that I'm giving up my will and asking for God's will to come in. That's how I think of it instead of, because it's already there, but when I'm in my yeah. will, I'm ignoring it. So it's like me telling my brain to hush so I can actually listen to the Holy Spirit that's within. So it's like me flipping that switch within myself. Well, what you're talking about is very biblical and it's, it's renewing our mind. So what we're doing instead of saying, Lord, we invite your presence, what we should say is give... Help us to have a greater revelation of who you are in us or, or in and through us. So for us to renew our minds to that truth is very good. And it's probably the sentiment behind some of those statements. But when we say it like that, it implies that there is a distance. And I'm telling you, as a, as a son who didn't have a father around, we, we have to be careful with that. Because when we talk about God that way, we always joke around like heaven's past that ceiling tile somewhere. And that's where God dwells way in heaven somewhere. When he says, no, I made a deposit of my mansion, of my kingdom, of my heaven in your heart. We have to recognize that, that when, when, when we're born again, and unless you're not born again, unless you're lost, you don't invite him. <laughs> He's there. And so what you're talking about is very true. We renew our minds to what's happened in our hearts. So when we're, whether we're in worship or whether we're reading or whether we're in our car or whatever it is, and we're saying, well, I, I am setting aside my will for your will, you're saying, okay, what you have for me is better than what I have for myself, which is very true. And so it's an acknowledging and a, and a renewing of the mind for us. But the truth is already there. Just like he said, everything that we read about Jesus through Scripture, when it says he's the perfect representation of the Father, when we read that, he, it's brand new to us. It feels like it's brand new. But it's the truth that's been based in the very foundation of the earth from before time and will outlast this earth. So for sure... It feels brand new every time, and it feels as though he, like he just showed up, and that's another term we use with God showed up. Yeah, if you show up, God showed up. If, I mean, if you carry his Holy Spirit. I only say that because that's so important, not just in church and in services. It's so important in your life because that changes your perspective on everything. If you think that you have to coax God into doing things, and this, is, this goes into prayer life, which I, I want to get to in another sermon, but this goes into prayer life too because when he says, when he teaches disciples how to pray, he says, pray what? Our Father. The, the whole Father idea is that your Father knows what you need, and he's going to give it to you. Even when it says that, that you will do greater things, I've, I've heard many, many condemning sermons about greater things. Greater there just is the Greek word that means mega, which literally means mega, big. So the greater things that we're going to do is not that we're going to do greater, greater things than Jesus did. 
It means bigger. Why? Because Jesus was singular. He was in one place. Now we have the Holy Spirit, and we have all these crazy Holy Spirit carriers running around here. Literally, right after that, his disciples went out and spread the gospel further than Jesus ever did. Mega, bigger, so further out. So when, when we talk about this, this uh, the difference in, in, and I call it this because I'm, I'm, I'm just saying I've experienced this so many times where there was this, this inadvertent distance created between us and God. And it breaks my heart that, that people will put that pressure on themselves as though they can, they can draw God in for this certain thing. And it also lends itself to this whole hierarchy of I'm the man of God and everyone comes to me. So when you, when you submit, really, that's the only word I can think of, when you submit to God's will and his Holy Spirit in your life, you will have those, those moments or aha moments, whatever you want to call them, where your mind is renewed to a truth that's been buried in your heart. Because God didn't give us good advice and make us better. He took our old broken heart and our dead life, and he gave us a brand new heart. And, brand, and, and with that brand new heart comes renewed thoughts. And some of our thoughts are messed up. That's why we say, well, okay, well, for, for, we're forgiven of all sin. Well, why do I still struggle with sin? Because our mind's not all the way renewed yet. We're still trying to figure this thing out. We still remember our old dead life when we had all these issues and these trust things and all the sin and all this stuff when we were trying to be self-centered. So our mind needs to be renewed to be Christ-centered. So when we're, when we're Christ-centered, now when we walk, we go, okay, God's going with me in this store. When I need to pray for this person, I don't have to, okay, well, I need to go sit through three songs and a sermon before I can pray for this person. No, you carry the Holy Spirit with you, and you love that person right where they are. And if you don't have that ability, then you pray, God, give me that ability right now. I need it right now. And you're with me. I don't have to go somewhere and find you as though you're dwelling in a temple somewhere. You are now the Holy of Holies. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But he gives it to you anyway. Yeah. One thing I'll add is, like, we got to be careful about realizing it's not like just a head knowledge thing because there's people that have no idea about the Holy Spirit that get knocked flat on their butt by the power of God. Yeah. So I feel like the Holy Spirit can, like, he can be in us, but, like, the glory can, like, come and, like, the, like dwell in us, like, manifest, yeah. It's like a river in a that's, well. That's a good word. Yeah. The, the manifestation, we talked about this a few weeks ago with the giftings. The manifestation of the giftings, a manifestation is a producing of something in the natural. A manifestation, by definition, is a manifestation of something. What is that something? It's the Holy Spirit. So when, when we have these, these instances, when whether whatever it feels like, whether he's coming or going, it's a manifestation of something that's inside you. Guess what? God, I love this. God does it so much better than we could have. There's no formula to this. It's not like you check all these boxes and now I can do these things. The needs of the people that are around you will dictate the manifestation of the gift that God gives you. Boom. So... Think about that. I don't know what every person needs, and I'm not gifted in the area that each person needs to be blessed in. So when you, when you go into a situation, and I, I've said this, I say this about the Turners all the time, it's like they didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I'm gifted in yard sailing. I think that'd be a great idea. No. <laughs> they, have a, they have a heart and a love for the Honduran people, and they've been there, and they live there, and they care. They're not just trying to care or trying to prove anything to anybody because they care. They care, and so that prompts them to do other things into action so that, that that is a reality because they care. So their gifting is because of another person's needs. The same way you guys were burdened with the needs of a missionary, and you care. And so you didn't, I, you, I don't know if you planned on coming up here and preaching a mini sermon right out of the Bible, but you did. I don't know if you think that's your gifting, but it was this morning because it was a need that needs to be met, right? People that are untouchable, that breaks my heart. 
This is the ones that Jesus reached out to that no one touched them because they were scared their illness would get on them. And Jesus said, no, my, this is it right here. Listen, he that is where in us is greater than Jesus wasn't worried about something getting on him. He was bringing his kingdom and giving it to them, and he touched the untouchable. And he reached those that, that were completely outcast, the widows and the orphans and the sick and the ones that everyone was afraid of and would not go near. He said, my kingdom is greater than anything else. And I don't have to summon it. It's with me everywhere I go. Greater is he that is in me. Not... In a church building, not anywhere else. I'm not trying to tell you don't come to church. Please come to church. I love church, the building. But you guys are the church. You know that. So when you go, he goes. When you hurt, he hurts. When you cry, he cries. When you pray, he is praying alongside you. He is co-laboring with you. Does he have to? No, he chooses to. You get to. Do we have to keep these birds? No, you get to keep them. We can do all things through us who strengthens us, right? No. Through Christ who strengthens us, not past the ceiling tile in heaven somewhere. He's seated in his mansion that he created for you in your heart as a deposit. Not way out there somewhere. You're not, you're not, remember this, you're not trying to catapult people up to heaven. You are ushering the kingdom into people's lives. You bring the kingdom of heaven everywhere you go. Or you take it, I guess would be the proper way to put it. You bring it, you take it with you. Yes. Well, two. You got the mic, so you go first. Sorry. Um, I, I think awareness is a big, a big aspect of this. We feel like that perhaps we feel like God's not there, and it's really us dialing in and being aware. It's like if my wife is right behind me, and I don't know she's right behind me, but she says she's going to be right behind me. I got to remember she's right there. Yeah. You know, God says he'll never leave us or forsake us. That's true. But our, our issue is remembering he's there and Tuning. It's like there's radio waves are always present with us, yep. but we have to dial in the radio to hear what the radio waves are saying. Yeah. I changed it to Wi-Fi for the youth because yeah. I used to use radio waves, but they don't know what yeah. radio I mean, waves we are. Could, we could, we could, it's Wi-Fi, guys. Kids, we could, it's Wi-Fi. We could drown in metaphors, but the issue is no, he's I'm always here, but it's, it's us being aware of his presence yes. and remembering his presence and his promise and his power available. I love this. One of my, my, one of my favorite verses because I feel like it's so much more sound. Let us... Let us become more aware of your presence. We sing it all the time. Yes, definitely. Let us become more aware of your presence every day, not just in here, all the time. Well, how, let me ask you this before we move on. How does that affect your life when you leave this place if you are aware of God's presence with you 100% of the time? It should affect your life dramatically. When we talk about, when the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, he's not saying scoot around on your knees like this. Why does he say pray without ceasing? Because he's right here. You never stop having communion with him. You, you, it's continual over and over and over again. Yes. The scripture, um, I will see no man according to the flesh, but according to, to the, the spirit. spirit. Yeah. And as we walk, that's such a good, that's fun. <laughs> that, is, that is the Jesus lenses that we put on because outside of, Outside of Christ living with us, we only, we only have our own version of what that looks like. And part of the picture that was painted for me when I was younger about what my life was going to look like was very bleak um, and, and was pointed out by people who had no right to give me those pictures. I always use pictures instead of words just because I'm a picture person. And so I always remembered, uh, I can't remember who it was, somebody in here told me about the whole painting thing. 
And I, that's, that stuck with me forever. I've had to like, it's like an Etch-a-Sketch, right? You remember etch No, I am going real way back. <laughs> okay, I'm old. I don't know what is it, what's new that would be like an Etch-a-Sketch that you erase. Okay, you saw Elf. So Etch-a-Sketch, you draw and then you shake it and it disappears. That's what I've had to do, and that's what renewing our mind, I believe, is, is taking this, the picture, because whether intentional or not, lies have been told to us throughout the years about who we are and what this looks like. Just, it, it is what it is. I mean, I've been lied to intentionally a lot when I was younger, but there's been some that were just out of ignorance for whatever reason. So I say that to say that God's truth is truth whether we agree with it or not. And so the whole Etch-A-Sketch thing is us seeing God's truth through the pictures that have been painted for us. So it's being repainted or re-Etch-A-Sketched or whatever you want to call it. So all these, all these things that I thought, okay, well, this is the way they are, and this is the way it's going to be. And God says, well, not really, <laughs> you know. I have a greater truth, and he even says I have a greater truth. And it's not just, like you were saying, Gabe, it's not just an intellectual understanding or a learning, although that's good. It's good that we learn, but it is very experiential. It is very, um, it's very fatherly, like drawn, drawn close because we're close to him and we walk with him everywhere we go. So one of my favorite things with, with my kids, and it doesn't happen all the time, and it's less and less as they get older, is when they're doing stuff like either riding four-wheelers or doing something, and when they look back to check with me, like, is this okay, or should I do this, or whatever, I'm encouraged by that because I like being there with them. I'm physical. I can't be with, their, with them all the time, but it reminded me of how God is constantly, constantly, constantly. I'm thinking, is this good? Should I be doing this? Like, I'm questioning all these things, not, not just for no reason, but because I want the Holy Spirit to lead me in those things. I don't want to just be doing it because I want to do it. And I tell you, I fail all the time. It takes, it takes time for us to renew our minds to that truth that when, when the Holy Spirit leads us, we go, we, we trust and we move and we go. And we don't, we don't have to second guess it as much. And I don't know if, if you've ever been led by the Holy Spirit and immediately say, I'm not doing that. That's usually my response. I'm not doing that. Why? I'll be embarrassed or it's a little out of the ordinary. Or, and that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's not out of the ordinary. It's not embarrassing at all. It's very natural. But there are times when the Holy Spirit leads, and I question. There's nothing wrong with that. You can question that. And, it, and the Bible even tells us to test the spirits because you don't want to just be some crazy voice in your head that says, go do something dumb. So we test them, and we have brothers that we can talk to, and we can help each other out. I'm getting on a tangent. I'm already going over. I need to get, let y'all get out of here. All right. Whew. I don't know where we went from there. Back up. Say that again. Somebody famous said. <laughs> it must be true. Somebody like Spurgeon okay. or somebody like that. Anyway, they said prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness, which says a lot like, it's a lot like what yeah. you say, like renewing our mind. Like he's already, he took out our, our heart of stone and put in a new heart. He's already written Everything we need, it's already there. Like we've already, one man won't teach another man saying this is how the Lord is. Like we have the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. Like we don't, we don't have to have a teacher. We get them. Isn't that nice? But but in the absence of that, we've got Holy Spirit. Right. Like it's great. Yeah. Let's just. Yeah. And I think another 
don't know if they're famous. Uh, Graham, you know who Graham Cook is? I like Graham Cooks. He said, um, um, I think I may have wrote it down somewhere. I just skipped over it. Yeah. Um, he said, you're a habitation of God. He's not going to come visit you. <laughs> I love that because habitation speaks volumes to me. He's there all the time. When we pray, I think we've been taught to pray just prayers of um, like needs, like we need, God needs to provide. There's nothing wrong with that. He, he's okay with that. But that's not all of prayer. <laughs> prayer is listening because God does ask us questions. And he asks us questions so that we can interact and we can figure out what this stuff is, not just for the sake of knowing to know, but because he has a better plan for us. Us aligning our will with his is not him beating us down and like submitting like, oh, God, I have to submit to you. Us submitting to God is saying, your way is better than mine. Let me line up with that. And wow, that was a great idea. <laughs> like, I thought that I had it figured out, but I did not. So when we do submit to God and we align our will with his, it, we're, not, we're not trying to bend, like twist God's arms. That's what we say during prayer. We're not trying to say, if we give something, God's going to bless you. No, you don't have to twist God's arm to bless you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you so that you can bless others, whether that's giving here or giving out there. He, God is in the business of blessing. That's what he do. He's made of it. So when you pray, you don't pray to a priest or a doctrine or a religion. You pray to the Father. In the new covenant, you pray to God the Father. How, what an awesome thing. That's not always been that way. You get to. You get to pray directly to the Father. Dad, I need this. And oh, not just that. Look at me. I default to it. Dad, I need this. Dad, what do you want me to do here? Dad, look at the situation. How can I align my will with yours in this situation? And I promise you his way is better than your way. Like, not just because I see it in Scripture, although I do, but because of the experience I've had in 44 years. God's way is better than your way. Talk to him. He's your dad. Listen to him. He's your dad. Whether I don't know what your representation of dad was on this earth, but he is a good father. He's a good dad. And his way is better than your way. And he's not going to, like, press you down to, to, like, you know, just, like, beat you down so that you submit to his will. He's going to bless you, and his will is going to look better than yours. Or berate you to keep you humble. It's, it's dumb. The, the, the idea that God is, is coming down on people as, as like slaves and servants is ridiculous. And it's not at all New Covenant. It doesn't, it's illogical. A father wouldn't do that. And I love, I think it was Bill Johnson that said, we've treated uh, God the Father like the Godfather. Like we owe him something. He's sitting back in a chair. I've done this for you. <laughs> you, know, you, owe, you owe me. He's not a gangster. I mean, he is the OG. No, I'm just kidding. G-O-D. All right. Stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you. I get cheesier and cheesier with dad jokes as it goes along. All right. Just, just know that if you're, if you're born again, you have God with you all the time. Um, if, it's, if it's a renewing of the mind or a revelation uh, uh, or an awareness of his presence, praise God. I hope you have more of those all the time. But just know that he's not running around waiting for you to do something so that he can show up. He's showed up. He continues to show up. He's the most showing up God ever. <laughs> Father, thank you that you do show up, Lord, that you are with us, Lord, that you, you've, you've created us to be like you and that we spread the good news of who you are to others. And it is good news. It's not just good advice. 
Lord, thank you that as we go out in your image and as we bless those that are around us, you have created this identity in us so that we can do it. We can, we can also spread the, your identity in others. Help us to draw it out of them. Help us to bring your kingdom and take your kingdom everywhere that we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Father's Day.